December 31st, 2021. This morning's class should be for the Rufuah Shalema of Avraham ben Salha Aliza and Eliyahu ben Sofi. We're on Dafmim Vava Mudalafir Masechet Sanhedrin, about 12 lines from the bottom at the end of the line. It's the beginning of the next Mishnah, the last word on the line. It says, Kesad, says, begins the Mishnah, Kesad Tolin Oto. How would a person who was to be, who was executed by Sikila, perhaps by a specific Sikila, depending on which opinion you follow in our last Mishnah, but now they're going to be hanged on a tree. That's what we read, and we know it from the Torah in one Pasuk. And we saw it in the last Mishnah. How would they do so? It says the Mishnah, first opinion, Meshakya'in et ha korabaaretz vihaetz yose, umakif sheteyadav zo al gavzo vetole oto. The way it would be done is in the following fashion a beam of sorts would be meshukah bakarka, would be planted into the ground. And on top of it, yotze from it would be uh, another, uh, well, not beam, we're calling it a tree, cross beam. There it is. So it'll look like a T of sorts. And the individual who now was executed, makif sheteyadavzo al gavzo, makif Rashi explains means you bind them together, one on top of the other, vetoleoto, and then that individual is hanged on that cross beam, which is connected to. Of course, the bottom beam, which is in the ground. Rabbi Yosei disagrees. He says it didn't have that uh, complicated or even semi-complicated structure. Hakora muta al hakotel vetoleoto kederech shatabachin osim. He says the kora, the beam, was leaned against a wall. It wasn't stuck into the ground. And in turn, the individual who was placed on it, who was hanged on it, was kederech shatabachin osim. Instead of having a man cross beam, it appears, it would just be kind of hanging off of the side. What are tabachin? Those are people who slaughter butchers, slaughter animals. So this person wouldn't look like a human being who's being hanged in that fashion, but rather similar to the way you'd hang an animal. Uh, we don't hang animals all that often any longer, but I know once upon a time, well, in many countries they still do. If you're going to go and buy from some sort of marketplace, you'll see the animal hanging in the back, maybe for the blood to drain. That's what I imagine this is referring to, something along those lines. Continues the Mishnah and says, okay, so you've hanged him. What happens then? You would then uh, untie him immediately. And the Gemara will be somewhat clear from a Beraita, if I'm not mistaken, that this was to be done, generally speaking, very close to night. So the word miyad is mamash. It's almost immediate. You would put him onto the tree and immediately have another person right there to unfasten him because you're going to bury him immediately thereafter. This was generally speaking done very late in the day. There wasn't all that much time. You were fulfilling what it says in the Pasuk in the Torah, but you weren't really leaving this individual out. The Imlan. What if the person is left out there and he's left through the night? You've violated a mitzvah a negative commandment from the Torah, prohibition. The Torah says you're not allowed to leave the corpse to be lan, to just be hanging there and, uh, and spanning time on the et. The Pasuk says you shall surely bury him. Because ultimately speaking, kililat Elohim talui, words which we touched on in the past and which we'll return to now, this is monumental, David, and, 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 and we'll return to now, kililat Elohim, if you recall the interpretation that we mentioned already is, here's an individual who potentially was mikalele tashem. People walking by point to the person and say, 
that's a person who cursed God. That's blasphemy. And we start talking about it. We don't want that sort of talk. Anyway, that's the simple interpretation according to the Hachamim. Kilomar, mipene maze talui. Why is this individual uh, hanging over there? Because he was birech is a euphemism. He cursed God. And as a result, God's name will be profaned. People will talk about it. That's the description, the interpretation of that pasuk. Okay, so what we've established thus far is what the beam looked like, how the person was to be hanged, how he was immediately unfastened, and how that was an imperative to be done swiftly he and in time. What's that? Has to be there was a little, I mean, otherwise you're completely defying the purpose, but I imagine the way it was done, as we'll see again, that, that it was at the end of the day, is you, you did it immediately, you marched him through, you got him hanging up, everybody's looking at it very quickly, and then you took it down. You made the point, and then chalas. In other words, we're looking to... Say it again. Yes. What's the problem with the extended period of time? For the lengthy period of time. Our fear is the lengthy period of time. Based on this point, I imagine it goes something along these lines. If you have an initial jolt, an initial shock, I can't believe that happened. Wow, look at that. All right, but then it passes because it's out of sight. Not out of mind, but out of sight. If it's just hanging there, there's more idle chatter. There's more talk about it. As a result, if it's the initial sight of it, so you look at him and you get a point. If he's then, you walked by a few more times, wait a second, what actually happened over here? People begin talking about it. It turns into Hilul Shem Shamay. I kind of can relate to that. In other words, when there's conversation about something in the initial stages, it can be constructive. The more it's there is the description over here. Kilelat Elohim talui. My next words, indeed, indeed. That's the reading of the Pasu, Kilat Elohim talui. The Gemara will have an alternative interpretation. We haven't seen this yet. So far, the only reason, quote unquote, that the Torah gives us to take him down, reading those words, Kilat Elohim talui, is because this will be, bring to profaning God's name. Alternatively, the kililat Elohim talui, the Gemara will suggest, is we're dealing with my words, the Gemara doesn't use these words specifically, Selim Elohim. You're dealing with a person with the complexion of God, and as a result, it's inappropriate. But here as well, I understand the distinction. In other words, we need to make the point. To extend it means, you can ask, where do we draw the line? Okay, we draw the line with night nighttime. But ultimately speaking, the more you're hanging over there, the more he's left hanging, uh, the more bizayon there is. In the initial stage, we understand there needed to be a certain modicum of uh, modicum of, of, of bizayon. To, to extend it, that's where, uh, how would you draw the line? You have to draw the line somewhere. Nightfall. Says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Meir Adam of course, this is uh, this is not meant to be taken literally. Kadosh Baruch Hu doesn't uh, doesn't have a regular um, vocal cords like us, and he doesn't really uh, talk in this fashion. But anyway, we are supposed to take the following message: when a person has tsar, has pain, has suffering, has difficulty, what words does Hakadosh Baruch Hu kivyachol say? Kalani meroshi, kalani mizeroi, or mizeroi. Statement is, and we'll explain where it's coming from, what it has to do with us over here. Kalani, there'll be two interpretations to exactly how to etymologically break down this word, but what the word means in the eyes of the hachamim is, my he, uh, is, is heaviness. And the statement in turn is, my head is heavy, my arm is heavy. To have a heavy head, to have a heavy arm, means I'm having a difficulty with this. I have a headache, my arm is, what's that? <laughs> 
So Charlie asked the question, says the word kal sounds like the opposite. That's why you have to stay tuned for the Gemara. Why are we using this word to begin with? Why not just say kaved? It's because we're being doresh that pasuk. The pasuk says kilelat Elohim talui. We're being doresh the word kilelat as something to do with kal. So as Charlie, the word kal means light. I just told you it's a reference to it being heavy. Okay, so one of two interpretations we'll see in the Gemara, how we'll, how we'll flip this. I'll tell them to you now. Either it's a compound word Kilelani is kal lit. It's not light. Alternatively, it's kal compared to all those around, excuse me, all that surrounds me is kal as opposed to myself, I'm kavir. Either way you slice it, the statement is that kivyachol hakadosh baruchu is imecha basara. You are suffering, he's together with you. And that's the description of the pasuk, kilat Elohim talui. This is bringing to profaning God's name because he's pained, so to speak, seeing the torture, the suffering of this individual. Imken, if this derasha of kalani meroshi, of that heaviness of head, of arm, of strength of God comes as a result of the hanging of a wicked person, after all, who else is being hanged? Shenishpach, uh, that was uh, the blood of a, of a wicked person who was, which was spilled. All the more so we're supposed to envision and let that, let that vision teach us a lesson about the value of life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachol has that sa'ar for Sadikim for the righteous as well. And you should know the Hachamim went further in their description of the importance of burial. We just mentioned if you don't bury by nightfall, you're Excuse me, and concludes this statement. You should know it's not only quote unquote a nice message, an important message, an important understanding that God is pained by this. You should know all the more so you have violated an Isur. Continues the Mishnah and says, What if for his honor uh, you have not buried him? This is not talking about hanging any longer. This is going back to the last point and, 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 and emphasizing or, or elaborating upon. Oh, well, you told me I have to bury immediately. What if for one reason or another, we'll describe one or two reasons, the person needs to be, or we determined is best, not to be buried immediately? For example, the Havilo Aron, there's no casket for the individual. Vitachrichim, or uh, in order to bring uh, uh, garments within which he's going to be buried. Eno over alav, in such a circumstance, there's no isur of lotalin, uh, there's no chovav kabor tikberenu, you're doing it for the kabod of the met. Of course, we'll address later in the Gemara, well, what about if someone needs to fly in or someone needs to travel in order to be at the burial? Is this, does this extend? I think many, unfortunately, of us are familiar. We do sometimes extend. We will sometimes not bury immediately on that day in order to wait. It's along these lines. This is not talking about when he's on a tree. This is a regular burial. Oh, right? right. We, we continue. Because the Isur mentioned in the Pasuk, although in the context of the person on the tree, all the more so for a righteous person, you're supposed to bury immediately. And as a result, we're asking that circumstance if uh, you're, you're uh, stalling, you're not burying immediately in order to do it for the kabod, in order to deal with the burial in appropriate fashion, you should know a person who was sentenced to death and then buried afterward was not buried in the regular uh, cemetery in Kibrot Avotav, in the burial place of their forefathers. Ela, rather, what would be established in, I 
guess every cemetery, Sounds like each Beit would have two of their own cemeteries, two of their own graveyards. Uh, the first one would be uh, for those who were Neheragin, who got mitatsaif, and Nehenakim means uh, those who got strangulated. Those are generally speaking, we envision those as the lighter death penalties, as the uh, less severe executions. So they had their own, a little bit lighter uh, 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 wicked people uh, burial places. The Ahad and the other burial, the other cemetery was Laniskalin Velenisrafin, those who were stoned, those who were burnt, which are seen as the Mitot Hamurot, continues the Mishnah. Nit Akil Habasar. What about the person who was buried in the, uh, the rotten person burial places, in the uh, cemetery of one of these four Mitot Betin? But now, once he was buried in the ground, his body, the flesh, decomposed. Nit Akil Habasar. At that point, you can gather the bones which remain. You could bring them for burial in in the burial place of the family, in the regular cemetery. What's the idea? Why do we do it in such a fashion? You disinter. Yeah, you open them up after, you, after you've determined that his... That, that his flesh has decomposed. What's the reason over here? Rashi explains that the flesh decomposing has hopefully achieved for this individual kapara, which much of this process is intended to bring. As a result, once it's nitakil habasar, says Rashi, now he gets the regular burial place. Afterwards, afterwards, his bones. Yeah. And in these circumstances where there was an execution and in turn, the hanging and the burial, the family members, it was Customary, maybe we would lead them in this direction. Family members of the person who was put to death, what they were supposed to do, part of the ceremony, so to speak, was to then follow up with the judges and the witnesses and to ask them how they're doing. Why so? They were implying by asking how they were doing. We have nothing in our hearts, on our, in, on our minds, against you. We don't bear a grudge against you. We believe you were genuine in your approach to deen. We imagine, we accept that you judged a truthful judgment. That's, that's what you were supposed to do. Can I tell you that was always done? Hard to believe it was always done. If your family member was executed, you probably have in your mind and your heart that this wasn't rightful. That's right. So we try to lead you in that direction at the very least. Concludes the Mishnah and says, in the ceremony, in terms of halakha, for the person who was executed and put to death, and then hanged and then buried, if that was the circumstance, there was no avelut. Of course, avelut spans seven days. The, the Mishnayot, the Gemara, Masechet Moed Katan, and the third, third Perek describes all the details. What's that? that I, I'm, I'm talking about Avelut first. Avelut is seven days. Just one second. Uh, Avelut is seven days. There was no Avelut. No Avelut for a person who was put to death. For what reason? Rashi explains that the Avelut would in some way achieve a kapara for them. And although I know we're telling you that we're looking for the kapara, but the proper way to do kapara for this individual is without avelut. In a normal fashion, you have avelut. It's kind of a regular situation. By not having avelut, suggests Rashi over here, that will be the shameful, so to speak, kapara for the buried person. 
Yad Ramar Bimeir Abu Lafia explains this a bit differently. He says the Pasuk says in Mishle, Ba'avod Reshaim Rina. Says when those who are wicked are buried or killed or die, there's supposed to be a certain elated spirit. Hard to understand, of course, the machloket between Rabbi Meir and his wife Beruria in Masechet Berachot. But ultimately speaking, you're not supposed to show too much sorrow. So where do you draw the line of not showing too much sorrow? Suggests Yadrama by not having avelut. In today's day and age, we don't have execution. There's always the question in circumstances where the death of the individual may have come about through suicide. That will actually touch on this a bit in the Gemara. What are you supposed to do in such a situation? To the best of my knowledge, not 99 times, but 100 times out of 100, we have Avelut in those circumstances in today's day and age, going back several hundred years, because we assume it was something in their mind. They didn't do this with a consciousness of violating and rebelling against the words of the Torah. Rather, they took their life because they had some sort of psychological difficulty. You might say, well, it was always that way. All right, kashia. Anyway, says the Mishnah, but uh, although we didn't have Avelut, we had Aninut. What's Aninut? Sharon, Aninut is the first first day or time period before burial. Before burial, after burial, it's seven days of Avelut. Before burial, it's what's called Aninut. Once upon a time, during the time period of Aninut, you couldn't eat from Kodashim, you wouldn't eat from Ma'aseshini, you couldn't eat from any of the sanctified uh, uh, eating uh, portions. Furthermore, today, the uh, application of Aninut, as the Mishnah says in Masechet Berachot, is that we don't do any mitzvot during that time period, any positive mitzvot. Now, negative mitzvot are always an imperative, but you wouldn't say Berachot, you wouldn't pray, you wouldn't put on tefillin and so forth. That's until burial. Why is that the case? It's a mahluk between the Rishonim, between Rashi and Tosafot and many others. Either it's a mitzvah for you in this moment to be thinking about the deceased. As a result, none of you are thinking about God right now. I know it's hard to say that. Of course, you're thinking about God, but not proactive mitzvot aseh. Think about your burial. That's what's on your mind. Alternatively, Alternatively, uh, we're in a circumstance, or, or, excuse me, that's, uh, alternatively, you're in a circumstance where you're already fulfilling mitzvah, you're already osek ba mitzvah, and the principle is ha osek ba mitzvah patum in ha mitzvah. In other words, by being involved with the burial, you're already osek ba mitzvah, as a result, you're patum in ha mitzvah. Either way you slice it, that's what we call aninut. Why was there aninut for someone who was put to death? You tell me there's no avelut, why is there no aninut? So the Mishnah explains, she'en aninut, it's a hard, hard words to define. It means that aninut is o- only in your heart, only in your mind. What it seems to be implying is the difference between avelut and aninut is avelut has actions. Avelut has sitting low, not wearing leather shoes, has, has a torn garment and so forth. That's avelut. It's something that's blatant. It's something out there in your face. As a result, we say the kapara over here is no external activity. Don't show anyone that you have that avelut. Aninut, ultimately speaking, is the uh, 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 not doing of something. Now, all you're doing is you're not saying those berachot, you're not doing the tefillah, you're not eating. Okay, that's something that's internal that we have an allowance for. Yeah. Well, two things. Firstly, what are the visitors going to be coming consoling them with? They're going to be talking about the righteousness of that individual? Right. So I, I, I hear you, and I can't get into the full psychology here because I don't, I don't know it, but what I can tell you is what the Hakamim seem to have in mind is one of the following. Either, sorry, if we have Yad Rama, either, sorry, family members, 
He did it to himself. We wish he could, we could help you, but we can't. That's not grieving so much. That's why I was careful to explain to you Aninut. Aninut is not grieving. Aninut is the time period during which responsibility. You're dealing with the death, either because the death is on your mind or you're actively involved. Either way, you slice it. Ultimately, that is not Avelut. We're not allowing for Avelut over here. Either, sorry, it's just we can't do that. Or alternatively, ironically, and in a paradoxical way, the kapara here, family members just know because of the tragedy of this situation, we will not allow for the regular procedure. And you'll know afterwards this was the best, something along those lines. How long the What's that? Aninut is until burial. It could be an hour, it could be a minute, it could be a day. Yeah. Isn't the bedding the ones that are I'm not certain that the family members are not involved in this. Um, you're right, Charles. Charles argues, if, if I just told you very clearly that Aninut is about the family member's involvement, well, it must be then, and I guess you're right, that the family members are involved in the burial. Otherwise, the concept of Aninut, at least to my mind, doesn't make any sense. And the idea is all about the burial. Hakrovim ba'im, but that's not talking about the burial. He's, he's asking about the burial. Hakivura has, has to be there about That's right. Okay. okay. I, I, oh, and you liked. Okay. So Jerry turned this into the burial involvement. Is there avelut? All right. I gave them some sort of cathartic ending, some sort of closure. Anyway, it says the Gemara. I hear you, Charles. But more than anything, less Jared. It's nice psychologically. More than anything, it must be that they still have a sivui to be involved in some way or fashion. It says the Gemara. Tanura banana beraita ilu neemar het vetalita yiti omer tolinoto. So the Beraita has the following statement. It's contrasting the way the Torah tells us to do the hanging to the way the Malchut, the way the non-Jews would be doing hangings. It says the way the non-Jews would be doing hangings is prior to execution, they would hang the individual while alive, whereas the Torah says once executed, then you hang them. Well, how do you know that's what the Torah says? Well, if the Torah were just to say, he sinned and you hang him, that's what I would say. I would tell you. Tanura banan, baraita says, ilune emar het. The Pasuk says he has het mavet. But if it just said het, vetalita, and you'll hang him, haiti omer, I would say, tolinoto vehakach memitinoto. I would say we do it just like the non Jews. You first hang the individual, then you put them to death. Just like the surrounding monarchies do. That's why the Pasuk in the Torah tells us not just that he did Chet Mavet, but rather Vehumat. He's put to death. Only then does the Pasuk say Vetalita. Clearly, says the Beraita, Mimitinoto. First, he's executed, as we learned in the Mishnayot. Vehakartolinoto. Hakesat. How would you do this in the most effective fashion? Mashinoto ad samuchlishkiata haman. This is what I was referring to in the Mishnah earlier. You would, uh, you would save the verdict of the case 
which you knew, which you were prepared for, until close to Shkiata Hama, until close to sunset. dino, you would finish and hand out the, the verdict then. Umimitinoto, you'd execute him, you know, very close to sunset. Tolinoto, and you would then hang him. Ehad kosher vehad matir, and the way it would work is you would be working so quickly because it's so close to sunset, and you want to get the burial in before sunset so that you're finished with this case and he's in the ground, so to the extent that one person would tie him onto the tree and at the same or in the very next instant another person would be untying him that's how swift and how quick this is going in order to fulfill this mitzvah which means to say ultimately speaking what we were nervous and careful about is a that we're not extending the period of time during which he's hanging B, if we were to hang him in the morning, is the fear, the way the Mephashim explain it, that we would forget then to bury him, you're hanging him throughout the day. So instead of hanging him, finishing the, the, the judgment, the verdict in the morning, hanging him and letting him out for the day, and then burying him, because the fear is you're going to forget, hold on to the case, finish it close to sunset, calculate the time well enough, then be able to execute, and then bury afterwards. Indeed. And uh, maybe this is an ideal circumstance, A. B, maybe even once he delays and does all these delays, we try to set it up in such a fashion. Once after the delays, and then you're finally handing it down again. He calls out, he says, I want to go back. We go back, we'll have to, if it's so close to sunset, it means we're starting it again tomorrow. Yeah, all right. I mean, we do know, that was clear, we're allowing this to extend for some time. We want to get it right. We're willing to, to, to lose time for that. Tanura banan, the Beraita goes further, and it's a doresh. Now, those two opinions we saw in what the construction of that tree or of that beam looked like. So here's the derashot. On the one hand, the pasuk says, v'talitoto al it's the Torah says, ben talush ben If you just use the word tree, well, I don't understand necessarily it's a tree that's connected to the ground or wood that's connected to the ground. It could either be talush, which means it's taken out of the ground, or mechubar, it's still connected to the ground. Tamud Omar, the continuation of the Pasuk says, kikabor. Now, of course, the Pasuk is actually referring to the individual, the person. But our extension of that word kikabor is that you're not only burying the person, you're burying the wood, the tree on which he's being hanged. The understanding in turn goes like this. You need to hang him on the tree and then bury. Okay, and then bury means not only the person, but the tree as well. And then bury appears as if the only necessary action after he's hanged is burying. Wait a second, if you need to now start chopping down that tree, making certain that it's out of the ground, cutting it up and putting it into the ground, that's many actions, that many activities that are in the interim. The understanding in turn is this is swift, this goes quickly, it goes like this. He's hanged on a tree. The tree cannot be mechubar la karka. Can't be a tree that's actually connected to the ground. That's rather maybe it's planted into the ground, but it's not actually rooted in the ground. As a result, this will be swift. It'll go from tilia to kibura immediately afterwards. Rabbi Yosef goes a step further. Rabbi Yosef, you recall in our Mishnah, said it wasn't even knocked into the ground. It wasn't even planted into the ground in an artificial, superficial fashion. Says Rabbi Yosef, we'll read it in just a moment, you're going even too far, Hachamim. You told me that the initial beam is really stuck into the ground. 
that's an activity. Maybe you don't need to chop it down. You need to get people, you need to get instruments to get it out of the ground. You told me, on the other hand, the Pasuk says explicitly, It needs to be really quickly. As a result, I'll tell you what the beam looks like. We remember this. It needs to be leaned against the wall. Nothing stuck in the ground. It needs to be mamash. The only action, the only activity that is pending is just burying it in the ground. It's true, you don't need uprooting. It's true, you don't need cutting down, but you do need to pull it out. I would tell you, says Rabbi Yosef, you're not even sticking it into the ground. The Rabbanan, how do the Hachamim respond to Rabbi Yosef? You call those are the two opinions in our Mishnah. Hachamim say you stick it into the ground. Rabbi Yosef says you lean it up against the wall. Rabbi Yosef seems to be the more simple interpretation. Telisha lav kelumi. Say, Hachamim, come on. You're calling, pulling it out of the ground a ma'aseh? You're calling that something that stalls the process. When the Torah says you hang him and then you bury him, it means you hang him, you pull it out of the ground and bury him. It's another thing, if you need someone to chop it down, okay, that's what the Torah is coming to exclude. That's the Mahloker Biyosei and Chachamim. Kilomar continued the Mishnah, If you recall, the Mishnah said that when the Pasuk says, it's an understanding for us, don't leave this individual on the tree too long. The people who pass by, the onlookers, will begin to talk, and they'll ultimately say, why is this person hanging over there? Oh, because he cursed God, because he was a blasphemer. We don't want that sort of talk. Tanya Abiraita gives a little bit, and this is the Jared interpretation at the beginning, a little bit of a different vantage point as to this Kililat Elohim Talui. Omer Bimeir said to Bimeir an interpretation too. What's that curse of God which is being hanging, hanging, dangling from the tree? Mashlu Mashal They gave the following parable, following example for understanding this circumstance. Lishne Ahim to Omim. There are two brothers who are twins, Bi'irahat, and they live in one city. Ehad, one of those twin brothers, Minuhu Melech, becomes the king. Ehad Yatza Lelistiyut. The other one becomes a bandit, becomes a robber, a thief, a, 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 whatever, a, a person who's doing wrong. Sivah Melech Vitaluhu. Uh, the, the king, seeing his twin brother doing the wrong things, commands he should be hanged. He should be put to death and hanged. To anyone who would pass by and see the twin brother of the king, Omer, HaMelech Talui. And they all pass by and say, oh my goodness, the king is hanging over there. After all, he looks identical to the king. As a result, the king commanded and they took down his brother from the tree. Of course, what's the reference for us? Maharsha has two interpretations, and we'll have one overriding uh, uh, message over here. Maharsha quotes from Rashi in his interpretation to the Torah, it's Perusha la Torah, and these Pesukim. Rashi understands this as specifically in the context of Yisrael. He understands from the Gemara and Masechet Bava Metzian, Dafnun Het, that Yisrael, first Adam Harishon, but then Yaakov, have this demut diokin of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hard to interpret exactly what that means, but in some way, Am Yisrael share a complexity, or a comple- complexion rather is the word, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As a result, you're looking at a member of Am Yisrael, you're looking, so to speak, at HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Inappropriate. That's what we're referring to. He quotes Ramban Nachmani, uh, who writes elsewhere. Ramban Nachmani argues this is not only for Yisrael, this is for non-Jews as well. How would we, although Ramban is really working in the world of Sod, of Jewish mysticism, how would we interpret how it could and should have perhaps apply to all people? It goes like this. 
There's, as I mentioned earlier, the Torah describes the creation of Adam Harishon as Betzelem Elohim. Now, Adam Harishon was no, no Yisrael. Yisrael is much later. The individual named Yisrael, of course, is generations later. Betzelem Elohim is a description of the complexion of God. How does a person have a complexion of God? My favorite example, I wrote, read it in Rabbi Yonatan Grossman's book once, is, uh, I've, I've mentioned it more than once in this class, is the picture of Shakespeare. Does anyone know what Shakespeare looked like? Well, you might say you don't, but if I put three pictures in front of you, I said, point to Shakespeare, I imagine every person in the room would point at the picture of Shakespeare. How do you know what Shakespeare looks like? Okay, we all just know what Shakespeare, um, maybe, you know, we all just know. Albert Einstein's easy, but Albert Einstein we have actual photographs of, you know, but this is, how everybody knows what Shakespeare. Apparently, the research has been done that's not a picture of Shakespeare. It's just not a picture of Shakespeare. But, uh, but it's a picture of Shakespeare, you would all point to it. His suggestion is that is the picture of Shakespeare, even though it wasn't actually drawn of Shakespeare understand. The answer is that's how we refer to Shakespeare. When we conjure up in our minds an image of Shakespeare, we know that's the picture of him, even though that wasn't the drawing of him. Until pretty recently, you could have said the same thing about the Hafez Haim. Maybe you could still say it about the Hafez Haim. Hafez Haim, we now have photographs of him. The famous painting does not seem to look like him. I, mean, I can't tell you if it actually was him at one juncture or another, but I can tell you that's the Hafez Haim, and my children will tell you that's the Hafez Haim, and it's on his books, and everyone's going to have this. Grandchildren, I think we're proud of that picture, whether it was actually a picture of him or not, that's the picture of him. It's the same thing with B'nai Adam. When we talk about having a Tzelem Elohim, but God doesn't have any physicality. But God is not in any way physical. He doesn't have a face. When we talk about his nose and his arm, we're not talking physically. So how could you say a human being has Tzelem Elohim? The same way we refer to that picture of Shakespeare as Shakespeare, because that is the representation. The closest you'll come to defining Shakespeare or the Hafez Hayim is by pointing to that picture. It's the same thing with human beings. When the Torah says that we have Tzelem Elohim, it means when you look at a human being, you're supposed to see in that human being godliness, but he doesn't have a face. But that is godliness. Torah is telling us that's the closest you're going to come to defining godliness, and as a result, that's God himself. Well, that being the case in the Gemara as well, when we talk about this kilelat Elohim talui, when we refer to these shnei ahim te'omim, these twin brothers, and one of them, the other one's the human being, we're referring to all human beings. Human beings have a certain sanctity, have a certain um, vision of others upon them, and who say that's a deity, that is the complexion of God, as a result it's inappropriate to have it hanging in such a fashion. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.